0: The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Again, that's Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light this is the word of the Lord good morning good morning there we go. Masks are lame and they make it hard to hear, but still good morning to all of you. My name is Joel, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We're so excited that you've joined us today. Uh, it's, a, it's an honor to, to be preaching today. So if you are online, if you're in person, I'm, I really am pumped to speak on this today. Uh, we are in a series called Pastoral Words for the New Year. Pastoral Words for the New Year. And really we're focusing on what are some of our prayers, our longings for Park Church in this next year will be. What do we long to see? And when Garrett asked me a couple months ago, do you have anything stirring in your heart that you want to share with the church? One topic immediately came to mind, and that's what I get to preach about today. But before I jump in, I want to to give a short intro. Last year, we all know was crazy. Uh, For all the reasons we know, a pandemic led to deep isolation, depression, anxiety exposed, um, suicide on the rise, economic stresses on businesses, uh, throw in like an insanely volatile election year, like no big deal, right? Um, racial injustices, the tension there that was happening all around the country, Um, also the relational explosiveness that happened between family and friends around all the topics we just mentioned above. Things were crazy. The list goes on and on and on about all the things that we experienced in 21, and yet in this whole list of things that we experienced, one thing was severely absent. One thing was severely absent, and that's what I want to talk about today. The thing that was absent was gentleness, gentleness. Gentleness was very much MIA from most public discourse in 2020. Gentleness is defined as a quality of being kind, tender or mild mannered. We currently live in what seems to be a very divided, vastly opposite world from gentleness. Outrage culture, cancel culture are the name of the game on social media. We're getting really skilled at shaming others online, our opponents. Christian minister and legendary civil rights activist John Perkins said this, this generation is the first to turn hate into an asset. This generation is the first to turn hate into, and two, an asset. We live in an age of us against them with rampant suspicion towards anyone who thinks and holds to a different perspective than our own. Healthy dialogue, engaging, thoughtfully, charitably, kindly, generously with others who hold different perspectives seems to be at an all-time low. And that sadly isn't just out there, it's in here. It's in the church. It's with Christians. There's something about gentleness that we desperately need to recover this year, it's a word that steps into our cultural climate and speaks with a prophetic voice. It communicates a vastly different language than we're used to, and it communicates with a vastly different tone than we're used to. Today, some would even say that the act of gentleness is an act of rebellion. Why? Because gentleness feels alien, it feels countercultural, it feels out of place, and yet, while it seems to be absent in our culture, if you take a quick look, at the Bible, you will find it here. It is vital for us today. So instead of having kind of some great points in my sermon, I'm actually going to have prayers. I'm going to have two main prayers, and my prayers will be my main points. These really are my pastoral words uh, to you all for 2021. I hope that you can hear my heart speaking from a place Of love and not condemnation. Uh, It's really good to be with people in person. Those at home, I wish we could be in person because I want you to see my, my eyes. I want you to see my face. And I know you can see it online, but it's not the same. To be present with people and seeing each other face to face is so important. I want you to hear that I love you, that I'm not speaking like harshly towards you, but I'm speaking in longing for something better, not just for you, but also for me. So let's pray just before we jump in. We desperately need to recover a gentle witness and a gentle voice in a harsh world. Let's pray. God of of all gentleness, of all kindness, we ask you for help today. We ask that you would open our hearts to see wonderful things in your words and see wonderful things in you. We wanna see wonderful things in you and that you would grow those things in us today. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, my first prayer for all of us this year is this, is that we would behold our gentle God. My prayer for us this year is that we would behold our gentle God. I wanna ask you a question. When you imagine God in your head, what does he look like? What does he look like? What is his posture like? Maybe a more insightful question would be this, how does God look at you in your mind? Maybe you don't believe in him at all. Maybe you think God is always disappointed with you. He's always angry with you. Maybe you feel like you're always walking on eggshells and he's incredibly hard to please. Others of you wonder if God cares at all. He seems more like a distant elderly relative who you've lost touch with over the years. A.W. Tozer said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important important thing about us. Do you agree with that? Let me read that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Well, think about it. This is true for the atheist, it's true for the Christian, it's true for the Muslim, for the Buddhist, it's true for the mindful agnostic here in Denver. What we believe or don't believe about God in turns governs and shapes how we live and how we see everyone and everything. The good news is that we weren't left in the dark to figure out God on our own. We don't uh, get to vote on what we think God is actually like. Christianity believes that God himself reveals what he's like to us in his word. You want to know what God is like? Look at the book. Look at the book. Look at the the scriptures. At the heart and the climax of the story of the Bible is a person, and that's Jesus. That is Jesus, the word of God himself. Jesus came to shine a light on the heart of God and the heart of God's um, favor towards us, his disposition toward us. In the Gospel of John chapter 14, there's a really interesting interaction between Philip and Jesus. And, and Philip says this to Jesus. He says, show us the Father. Show us the Father, Jesus. Which again is a beautiful longing. Philip wants us to know what God is like. And Jesus says something interesting in response. He's like, Philip, how long have I been with you that you don't know this? If you have seen me, you have seen whom? The Father. You've seen the Father. Do you want to see God the Father? Look to the Son, Jesus Christ. He reveals what the Father is like. One of the most powerful places that we come to see Jesus, and in turn the Father, in the Bible is in Matthew 11, the passage that we read this morning. I want to mention one thing about this passage before we read it again. It's an observation that 19th century British preacher Charles Spurgeon made years and years ago, and then Dane Ortlund repeated in his book called Gentle and Lowly. I'll show it to you guys later. It's a wonderful resource. Um, But this is the observation that Charles Spurgeon made. In all four gospel accounts, over 89 chapters, there's only one place where Jesus himself speaks on his own behalf and tells us his very heart. For sure, we celebrate all that we learn about Jesus in the other chapters and and verses. We learn that he was born. We learn about his miracles, his teaching, his his life, his death, his resurrection, his, his ascension. And all of these things are essential for understanding his ministry and who he is. And yet, this is the only passage where we hear from him in his own mouth telling us what he's like, what motivates him, what springs most naturally from his heart. So with that in mind, let me read Matthew 11 again, and this is Jesus speaking. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. This passage is known as the great invitation. While I could focus on on so many parts of this passage, I'm gonna focus in on the character of Jesus found right in the center of this passage, of this great invitation. If you received an envelope in the mail with an invitation in it, you would open it and what would you look for first? (laughs) Who's inviting me, right? Who is inviting me? Who is the person that sent me the invitation? What's their character? What's it for, but who is it from? Do you want to respond to the invitation or probably dependent on their character, right? In the middle of this invitation, Jesus tells us where his incredible invitation is actually stemming from, where it's flowing from. It's found in verse 29. Jesus says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is who Jesus is at his core. If he had a, a profile on Instagram or Facebook, on his bio, it would say, I am gentle and lowly in heart. This sounds cool, but what does it mean to be gentle and lowly? Well, we're going to look at each of these phrases right now. So first, Jesus is gentle. The Greek word for gentle is to only used three other places in the New Testament. Matthew actually uses it two other times. It's found in Matthew 5, 5 in the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth." The word for meek is the same word that's translated gentle later on. It's also found in Matthew 21, 5. It's normally translated humble in the rest of the New Testament. So we find out that gentle means meek. It means humble. Later on in 1 Peter, Peter uses it as an encouragement for wives to be of a gentle and quiet spirit, like Jesus. When we say Jesus is gentle, we're saying that he is meek and that he's humble, that he is considerate. Dane Ortland, in the book that I mentioned earlier, Gentle and Lowly, says this Jesus is not trigger happy, not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Let me read that last sentence again. The posture most natural. To him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Mm. Ray Ortlund, Dane's father, said this in a different book on the same topic. He said this, Gentleness is just who he, Jesus, is at the most profound level of his being. Here then is what we could never believe if Jesus hadn't told us. We have parachuted into a universe where gentleness is the ultimate reality now and forever. Jesus is gentle. Not only is Jesus gentle, but he's also lowly in heart. What does this section, a second description mean? Jesus is lowly in heart. There's definitely an overlap between gentle and lowly. They're two words that are kind of getting at the same thing, the same reality. This word for lowly is generally translated humble elsewhere in the New Testament. A literal definition would be near to the ground. The point of this word usage is this, that Jesus is accessible. He's near to the ground. I'm near to you. I'm not far off. I am near. I am lowly. Commentator R.T. France said that he's lowly, not in the sense of him being unaware of his exalted status, but rather not using it to browbeat those under his authority. Jesus was unlike the Pharisees and the scribes of his day that were trying to hold people to these rigid standards. If you look at Matthew, before Matthew 11 and after, the Pharisees were trying to do things to the people of God that Jesus was offering a different invitation to. He's like, come over here. I'm gonna give you rest, not like those folks over there. I have true rest for you, a new way of life and of living for you. Can we just sit in this for a moment? This reality that Jesus is gentle and that he's lowly towards us. And he's not just gentle and lowly vaguely, but he's gentle and lowly towards you, towards you, towards you, towards me. I just wanna pause. Just, just let that settle in for a moment. Just take a deep breath right now. Breathe out. Jesus is gentle and lowly towards you. He loves you. He's accessible. He's understanding. He's the most understanding person in the whole universe. And this is good news for us. We come to him with our sin, our brokenness, our doubt, and confusion, and we wonder what we're going to be met with. And he says, I'm gentle towards you, I am lowly towards you. It's dumbfounding, friends, and yet it is good news. Before we flatten our definition of gentleness, I want to make a disclaimer. Just because Jesus is gentle doesn't mean He's soft, it doesn't mean He's a pushover, it doesn't mean that He turns a blind eye to injustice, it doesn't mean that He never gets righteously angry. If you read the surrounding passages, you know very well that this isn't His posture towards everyone. In Matthew 11, he gives some harsh words known as woes to the cities around him that were unrepentant, that weren't changed their mind about who he was. Matthew 12, he calls the Pharisees, just a, a nice term, he calls them a brood of vipers. That's sweet. They're just a bunch of snakes hanging out. Gentleness doesn't negate righteous anger. The gentle Jesus was still the table-turning Jesus. In fact, I would argue that the anger was actually a manifestation of his love, his care, his kindness, and his gentleness. So I want to restate my initial prayer for us this year. May God enable all of us to behold, and not just behold, but believe and see and see time and time again that the Savior we come to in prayer and live before is gentle and lowly toward us. Toward us. That before we come with all of our New Year resolutions and all of our prayer plans and rules of life before Him, that Jesus already has a rule of life towards us and that He promises to be gentle and lowly with us. He is resolved to be gentle and lowly with us in January, in February when we've already forgotten all of our New Year resolutions, in June, all the way to the end, Jesus will be unwaveringly gentle and lowly with us. And this is good news my second prayer for us this year is as we continue to behold our gentle god again and again we also would become increasingly a gentle people that we would become a gentle people it was surreal to be writing a sermon on gentleness this last week Everything going on in D.C. was unfolding. A violent mob was storming the Capitol building. It was a picture far from the gentleness and lowliness we see in Jesus. It was a picture of violence and force. To see photos of a Confederate flag next to banners of Jesus saves was heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. It was repulsive. It was honestly anti-Christ. The kingdom of Jesus is not the kingdom of this world. Jesus' kingdom is not a kingdom of a particular political candidate. It's not the kingdom of a particular partisanship, right? It's not the Republicans or the Democrats. Jesus is much higher than those things. The kingdom of Jesus is much higher than a particular country. What we saw in D.C. resembled more the way of Peter that night that Jesus was arrested than the way of Jesus himself. Do you remember? The story. The soldiers came to arrest Jesus. What did Peter do? Shring! Pulled out his sword. He's like, Phew. cut off the ear of a servant. And I don't know if Jesus picked up the ear from the ground, but what, did, what was Jesus' response? He picked up the ear, healed the servant, and he told Peter something. He said, put away your sword. And then he went and laid down His life. Friends, this is the king we serve. He's the king who is gentle and lowly, who lays down his life for us. It's not like the kingdom of a mob that invades a capital building. That's not the heart of our king. We shouldn't be surprised by people being turned off to Jesus when they see his supposed followers doing things like this. I want to read a quote from Scott Saul's book, A Gentle Answer. He speaks to this. He says, This. Many who are drawn to follow Jesus are also distancing themselves from movements and traditions that seem more politically partisan and less spiritual in nature. When love your neighbor takes a back seat to American partisanship, when the protection and advancement of our own rights and privileges takes precedence over the needs of the least of these, spiritually and socially sensitive people can find it difficult to get on board with versions of Christianity that look, smell, and talk more like Uncle Sam than Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't intend for his gentleness to be a cul-de-sac, but rather a highway that he invites us to follow him on. He intends to see a gentle and lowly people being formed by and following him on his gentle journey. That we would take up his yoke, which when he says, take up my yoke, he's actually referring to a way of life. He says, take up my yoke and learn from me. Learn from me is a reference to him being a rabbi. He was a teacher. He's like, I want to teach you a new way of life. This isn't just like thoughts, but this is a whole new way of living. I was doing a Bible study uh, reading plan this last year that walked through the whole of the Bible. And one of the main things that stood out in the New Testament as I read through it, particularly the letters written to the churches and its leaders, was its usage of gentleness. How much gentleness is referenced in the New Testament and its commands to the people of God. It's mentioned in a ton of, ton of different contexts. Paul and Peter use the word repeatedly in their letters, either to re- describe the posture that they took towards churches or the posture that they were calling churches to take with those around them. Gentleness is a qualification to be an elder or an overseer of the church. Paul commands Timothy to pursue gentleness. Note that gentleness isn't just an automatic thing where you become a Christian, and you're like, ding, I'm gentle. Hey, nice to meet you, right? Pursue gentleness. It's something that we, we long for and pursue. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, I want to put it up on the screen. Paul commands us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called, but he doesn't stop there. He, he describes it in this way with all humility and gentleness. I want to repeat that again. With all humility and gentleness. Notice it's not partial humility and gentleness, but it's all humility and gentleness. With patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is the way of Jesus, and this is to be our way. Paul goes on in the same chapter and says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Kindness, tenderness, a life marked more by forgiveness than by grudges. This is our king. This is our gentle king and this is the gospel. The gentle God is calling his people to be a gentle people. This is the repeated command throughout the New Testament. It is not merely enough for our Savior to be gentle, but we are children of God called to emulate and reflect our Father. We're also ambassadors of the King, which means we represent Him. So to not show gentleness, which He has, is to misrepresent our King to others. And that's precisely why when I saw Jesus saves banners in this mob, storming the White House at the Capitol, it was so confusing to me. I was like, this isn't the heart of Jesus. This is not the way that Jesus has called us to live. If your life doesn't reflect his gentleness, you misrepresent his heart to the world. Your call as a disciple and follower of Jesus is to, in the words of Jonathan Edwards, to learn to possess the lamb-like, dove-like spirit and temper of Jesus Christ. When we're at home, gentle. When we're talking with friends, Lowly. When we're engaging online, kind. When we're fighting with a roommate or a spouse, tender-hearted. When we're talking, maybe even heatedly, to someone who holds to a different political or religious viewpoint, charitable. Because of who God is, this is our call, this is our destiny, this is a way in which we live out the reality that we are made in the image of God, and not just that, we are becoming increasingly conformed into the image of His Son, gentle and lowly. So how do we practically learn to possess this lamb-like, dove-like spirit, the way that Jonathan Edwards called us to? How do we pursue gentleness the way that Paul commands us to? Did we just grit our teeth and willpower our way into more gentleness. I'm gonna get this out there. I will be a more gentle, person, right? I've felt this tension in my own life. Sometimes I'm like super rude and just short with my daughters, I'm like, ah, oh, stop bothering me, you know? And I'm like, oh my gosh, sorry, girls. Daddy kind of freaked out, you know? And then I'm like, God, help me be more gentle with my daughters. And so I pray that. I'm feeling pretty good. And all of a sudden something happens again. I'm like angry again. I'm I'm, I'm far from tender. I'm far from gentle. Right? And I just get frustrated. How do we make lasting change in this department? And really what we're talking about is a theology of change. A theology of transformation. I want to keep things fairly simple today. But the Bible teaches us that we become what we behold. We become what we behold. Theologian and professor Greg Beal said it this way, what people revere, they resemble, either for ruin or restoration. What people revere, what they love, they will resemble, either for ruin or restoration. We image the things that we stare at and obsess over and love. The question for us is, how do we behold this gentle God again and again in a transformational way so that his gentleness becomes ours? I have just four simple uh, steps for us in closing, as we seek to be a more gentle people. Honestly, I would love to have a conversation with all of you. You guys have thoughts on any of these things. How do we grow to be a more gentle people? Email me, I would love to hear your thoughts on how do we become a more gentle people, but I just wanna give you four. Uh, the first way is to start this process by being gentle with yourself. Be gentle with yourself. You're gonna be far from perfect at this and God doesn't expect you to be perfect. Sanctification is never a straight line from point A to point B. If Jesus is gentle with you, please do the same with yourself. Ask God to help you see yourself the way that he sees you. Uh, Secondly, maybe do a gentleness audit in your life. How do you do a gentleness audit? Well, it might start by talking to some people that are close to you and say, how do you experience me as a person? When we're talking about some hard things, it might not just be, uh, you know, shared interests, but also like some, some of the harder issues when we get things get heated. Do you experience me as a gentle person or a more harsh person? Ask people around you. Speaking of people that know us well, think about talking to God about how he sees you. Ask him to reveal those things to you. There's a prayer called the prayer of examine, which the church has used for years and years, which basically is a reflection on the prior day that you've lived and saying, God, reveal to me where you were. Like, show me the light in my day. Show me where your gifts came to me. But also show me where the darkness was, where the shadows were, where there was sin in my life. Maybe ask God intentionally. Say, where was there a lack of gentleness in my posture towards others, my responses towards others? And then in turn, ask him to change you. That's just a helpful way to do a gentleness audit. Uh, Thirdly, start with small practices of gentleness instead of saying, I wanna be a gentle person. Well, it starts small. Jesus said, he who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. So be intentional about just picking one or two ways that you can try to be a more gentle person. One one way of doing this is just simply try to get together with somebody that holds a different perspective than your own and literally just ask them questions. (laughs) Be curious about them. Instead of trying to be a lawyer and bring your case on, on why you should convince them of a different way, practice curiosity. Be an explorer of the person instead of a stereotyper who never lets them get outside of the box that you've put them in. Imagine this, try to believe the best in them. Imagine that they have a a reason why they believe the things that they do. Ask them questions. Be gentle towards them in this. Don't think about the next response. Just ask them questions. Fourth and finally, rely on the Holy Spirit. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Gentleness is listed as one of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Faithfulness and self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit that we are to walk in. While gentleness is something that we actively pursue, it is also something that God grows in us by His Spirit as we follow His ways. We can't muster up gentleness of our own accord, but as we abide in Him, we will bear much fruit, and some of that fruit looks like gentleness. Please don't confuse the fruit of the Spirit with the fruit of the Enneagram. Don't confuse the fruit of the spirit with the fruit of the Enneagram. Some of you guys are saying, oh, you're a nine. Must be easy to be gentle, right? I'm an eight. There's no luck for me, right? The Holy Spirit does not discriminate for Enneagram numbers, right? In fact, I would argue this, that the fruit of the Spirit present in different numbers, if you think of the Enneagram, or whatever, is actually even more pronounced and remarkable because somebody who's an eight, who's a challenger, walking in with gentleness is a powerful testimony to the fruit of the Spirit. That's powerful. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Jesus, a gentle and lowly one, invites us to come to him and to behold him again and again and promises that we too will become more gentle as we spend time with him. And that's what we long to do in 2021. That is good news for us. And friends, that is good news for this world. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your gentleness towards us today, that you love us, that you're posture towards us is not of a pointed finger today, but it's one of open arms, and we want to respond to you today. We want to know you more. We want to behold you more this next year. I ask you for help. We want to behold you more this next year. Help us see you and know you more, and help us become this gentle people.